Yeah, I have to say now, I'm proud of these. Look at even the serial number, pure gold. The real McCoy. One more day, I did. One more day, I'll give you. If you don't come out and start fighting, what? All that people are going to start falling victim. Are they going to drive around? I'll give you one more day, one more day, to let me knock that fucking bollocks out here. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The conviction of hit team Robert Rue Redmond and his sidekick Bernard Fogarty marks the end of the short and dangerous careers of Dublin's one-time most dangerous hitmen. This week, as they settle into a life sentence behind bars, I'm talking to Niall Donald about the chaos and fear spread by the murderous duo. We discuss death threats to innocent families, terrifying selfie videos and the brutal gun murder of Dad Barry Wolverson, who survived in a catatonic state for 13 months after he was shot. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So Niall, that is the voice of Bernard Fogarty found guilty in relation to the murder of Barry Wolverson along with his pal and sidekick, Rue Redmond. People we knew a lot about for a long time. They had a crazy couple of years. And Fogarty in particular was notorious for these Facebook rants. Yeah, I mean, very uh, unusual considering he was, in many ways, a a top-level criminal. Um, But yeah, he used to do what's, what's known in the broadcast business as pieces the camera where he'd uh, hold up his phone and rant on about his uh, his rivals. And uh, yeah, it really wasn't criminal mastermind stuff. Absolutely not. No, he was very, very angry as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was comical though, was it as well? Like a comical, it was, it was kind of a comic comic rage. Um, it was more like uh, somebody's parked in my car park space type of thing. You would have seen those type of rants on on. on TikTok or whatever. Um, but of course, he yeah, was yeah. talking about the really deadly serious stuff and threats to kill and obviously people being shot all across Kulak during that time. Um, but yeah, these two guys were uh, really out of control criminal figures. I mean, that is the simplest way to to describe them. But Fogarty, of course, uh, wasn't only doing that. He was also showing off his shades and his bling. Yeah. Yeah, he liked a bit of gold. Yeah, he liked a bit of he liked a bit of bling. Uh, he liked the uh, attention and uh, yeah, threatening is threatening is threatening your rivals on YouTube is 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 not a way for criminal longevity. You would have thought, um, but they did they did seem to get away with this uh, shooting for quite an extended period of time, if you remember. Um, but it did catch up with them ultimately. Uh, now, you've seen in the Special Criminal Court in recent weeks and in over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of uh, gangland criminals plead guilty to, to kind of lesser charges, is how it's been described as facilitating a murder, you know, being a part of a gang. And you've seen a succession. Even this week, you saw Paul Crosby in, in, in as part of the Drada feud plead guilty to that. We've also seen Jonathan Dowdle plead guilty. People like Pader Keating, a Kinahan 
uh, cartel member pleading guilty to these lesser charges and get, you know, extended crim- uh, extended jail terms. But these two guys, uh, Rue Redmond and Bernard Fogarty, both pled not guilty and are now going to be serving life, which really for a crime of this magnitude, you're, it's going to be 25, 30 years. Uh, they rolled the dice, for want of a better description, um, and they have been found guilty. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that, again, probably the key bit to it, and I'll just get at the actual quote, um, you know, the, the Justice McGrath said after finding them guilty that the court had this, this is a quote, stand back to view the united force of all the circumstantial evidence in the case. So this is an interesting thing where they rolled their dice. They weren't caught on camera shooting somebody. They weren't uh, caught with, their DNA wasn't um, on the, at, the, at the scene. You know, there was, there was no, the, the guards didn't build up an exactly clear picture about who shot who and, and, and that type of evidence. However, there was a bulk of circumstantial evidence connecting them with the case um, where there was um, residue found on, on Rue Redmond's uh, hands where Bernard Fogarty uh, smelled a petrol when he was arrested and he had fire logs. So this is, this is, uh, this is a case and it's not dissimilar to uh, other cases that are going on at the moment where, where there is yeah. this body of circumstantial evidence um, that doesn't necessarily add up to it, on its own, each individual bit wouldn't be enough to convict them. But where you have a, a whole series of events, the court is allowed found people guilty. And uh, obviously, they took their chance and said, "There's this and that," but it doesn't amount to a murder charge. But it's it's a it's a roll of the dice that hasn't gone their way, to say the least. From an investigative point of view, it does sound similar to many of the cases before the Special Criminal Court, of course. 1,700 hours of CCTV has been gone through. And Fogarty, of course, was seen buying, um, you know, those fire logs and a jerry can, or he was seen with a jerry can on CCTV, etc. So, yes, all those bits come together. Just to focus on the victim uh, for a moment, Barry Wolverson was a, he had some sort of a vehicle recovery business and he rented a space at Madigan's Yard and Swords. So he was a guy who had previously been uh, married and with children, and he was with a new partner and expecting a child. Um, I think, you know, it was suspected that he certainly had associates with the with with criminals. Um, I don't think he had any convictions in, uh, uh, in relation to drug dealing or anything, but that was his circumstances. He was running this vehicle recovery business there and he was with a friend and in January 2020 when the state has now found that Rue Redmond and Fogarty came upon him, shot him through the face and his um, the guy who was with him, who had a very strange name as well, Wildman or something, he... Um, managed to get away and sound the alarm. But um, Wolverson actually survived despite that being shot in the head. And he lived in a kind of a catatonic state for 13 months afterwards. He was in a nursing home. He survived waves of COVID. And I think, you know, the family suffered incomprehensible grief watching him like that, Um, whether he was going to he was never, there was never much hope for any recovery whatsoever, but yet they were, you know, they were faced with this shell of a man, I suppose, lying in a bed and, and his children um, and all the loved ones around him, seeing him like that. 
And, you know, a lot of the time we hear of these gangland shootings when people do survive. And, you know, when you see them afterwards, some of the injuries, like bullet injuries are horrendous, um, especially anything around the, the head and face. But he, he did die and um, the funeral saw, you know, wreaths from the family. The children released, there was a, a number of children at the funeral, they released balloons. And you'd imagine, you can only imagine that it was a, almost a release when he did die for the family. Yeah, I mean, it, actually Fogarty and Redmond were initially charged with attempted murder. Um, and that was only upgraded to murder as he died as they awaited trial. Um, he wasn't a... I suppose he wasn't a name that was on every crime reporter's tongue. Wolverson, um, the, the the guy who was shot, the guy who was there present, but it was was a guy called uh, Jared Wildman who would also. These people weren't known, so it was it was one of these. Um, you know, as subsequent to the investigation, it's 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 found that Wolverson had certain sort of criminal contacts, and that that seems to be a focus. Um, for why he was shot, but again, the point was made in court by by Redmond that they had no, he had no known animus as it was described with with Wolverson, um, so it was one of these uh, mysterious murders. But at the time, if you remember, Rue Redmond uh, was at the absolute centre of a series of violent events going on in Kulak, and um, he at the time was was involved in, I mean, what can only be described as a series of feuds really, isn't it? I mean, he was... I think you could say at that point he was completely crazy, out of control and feared beyond belief. He was going around trying to collect debts of people, many who would have said they didn't actually owe him any money. He was, you know, putting heavy on business people, on innocent members of the public as well. I um, ran a story and interviewed initially, we couldn't name Redmond, uh, but it was a house up in Tyrone and this woman called Sharon Garvin, very brave woman, um, spoke to me. She had a son, Stephen, who'd met Redmond on a holiday to Lanzarote. And whatever happened between them, and she'd always said her son was no angel, you know, but whatever happened between them, they came back from Lanzarote and Redmond all of a sudden started claiming that Stephen, her son, owed him 400,000 or some crazy amount of debt that... You know, it was crazy amount of money like this. Anyway, whatever, she wasn't trying to defend her own son, Sharon. She was, you know, saying that she was a, a mother of four. She had worked hard. She had bought her own home. Um, I think Stephen was an adult, like, and had moved out of the house. But Redmond came for her and her family. And on two occasions, he pumped 10 bullets through the windows of her house. I was up in the bedroom where they had, her and her husband had been lying, when the bullets whizzed in the window and passed them over the top of their heads as they were sleeping. On another occasion, they were having a family get-together in the garden when he came up and he shot. And of course, at that time, we couldn't say it was him that was doing it. It was a, you know, an, a, a, a well-known criminal sort of thing. Um, and he was doing that and he had even sent her text messages, which she was able to show me, um, I sent them to the, the the son and he was actually saying what he was going to do. You know, I'm going to come up, I'm going to shoot your ma. And that was actually the headline and the story we wrote. So he was doing that. Then he was, he was, um, I think he was convicted in relation to, he was going to burn down the property of a business owner who he said owed his godfather 56,000. Um, 
and that was his actual godfather as opposed to the go- a godfather of crime. He was totally wild, chaotic, full of cocaine and really, really feared. Yes, very, very dangerous. And he obviously operated in, in, in the Kulak area for the most part, which you know, associating with well-known gangland criminals, but he seemed to have a capacity for falling out with every one of them and threatening them all. And he had survived a couple of attempts on his life as a result. And he had one psychic, which was Bernard Fogarty, who was seemed to be... Equally crazy. Just as unhinged as he was, if... If the only thing to be said by Fogarty was he was slightly more amusing with his his pieces to camera, you know, um, very very dangerous uh, people. Um, Rue Redmond had had also uh, in his, which is now really the uh, very short criminal career. He'd also um, been a target for the Criminal Assets Bureau and the, the Drugs and Organised Crime Gang, and they take the cab had taken off, uh, taken a series of things off, and like the classic kind of. Uh, Gangland accessories, uh, high-end watches, handbags, designer clothes, thirty-six grand in cash, and uh, an Audi A4 car. Um, so he was one of the Rolex watches was worth sixteen grand, and also, and I've got to probably pronounce this wrong, Audemars Piguet Piguet watch. Oh, it's, that's really wrong. Is it really wrong? <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean, do you? Well, not really, but it's obviously a fancy watch. No, I do know I can't pronounce it myself. I'll be perfectly honest with you. So I never try, though. That's the difference between me and you. That's wisdom, Nicola. But uh, yeah, so look, he'd been, he'd been, but like it was a live fast. Uh, and in this case, he's probably lucky to be end up in prison rather than die young. Um, these guys, they they don't have the capacity to survive. Even those texts, um, you know, it's it's... Like that sort of way of going on, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. Uh, it doesn't survive. You're you're going to be caught. Yeah. Um. Even, like even those texts. I mean, people are being convicted all the time on the basis of mobile phone traffic. You know, you don't have to have the phone registered in your name. Um. He's sending. He's sending these texts and moving between. Uh. uh you know, the north and the south. Um. So he he. It was, he obviously took a gamble in the court. It was, an in, in fact, um, he wasn't even named during the proceedings because he was facing other charges. Um, but it, it's an interesting case, I think. And the judge in his judgment... Um, Definitely the technicalities you're talking about there are interesting. And it just shows, we spoke about it in relation to the um, the Regency trial that's ongoing at the moment as well. You can go nowhere without a camera being on you. Um, and if the Gardaí are engaged enough in um, and invested, I suppose, enough in solving a crime, um, they can trace you and your movements really. 100%. And the court is obviously taking that sort of stuff extremely seriously. Um, that again, the, the judge, the judge in, in, with Fogarty, there, was, there wasn't um, any, any forensic links link, to uh, the firearms discharge, which there was in Redmond's case. However, the judge said that he considered the level of Fogarty and he described it as the joint venture of common purpose. So even though nobody stood up and said, uh, they did say it was likely a two-man hit team, the the, the police said that in the prosecution, but nobody could say Fogarty did this or did he, you know, what exactly he did. I mean, he was clearly caught burning out the vehicle 
Um, that was certainly, there was evidence to put him there, but there was no particular evidence to put him necessarily at the scene of the murder. But the judges are, are, are weighing it up and say there's common purpose here. And that does have relevance for the, for the Regency Hotel trial as well, because you're seeing is, is it, it a case, an equivalent case where it may be enough, um, for somebody to have engaged in a joint purpose for murder rather than, I think, when you and myself would have started writing about crime back in the day, convictions of that type are very, very rare. I mean, they, they convicted the guys who, who stabbed the guy or pulled the trigger. Um, but those kind of joint purpose, really, they, they, they're a feature of the last decade, I would say. Um, and it is showing that, you know, criminals are going to, like, murder has become an awful lot har uh, harder to carry out, I think, gangland murder. Um, with the, the advent of technology is really all of these cases as they're brought to, brought to fruition. It's nearly all technology that is convicting people. Um, and CCTV is, is so much everywhere. Now, having said that, so many of them remain unsolved because witnesses can't be found and because they have a plan to get away and destroy the evidence, the forensic evidence in cars, etc. They're pretty good at that. But yes, the ones that are brought before the courts, it seems increasingly difficult to walk away with a not guilty verdict from either a judge or a jury. No, and obviously the the special criminal court, like it's it's decided by a judge who, who you know, they, they or a series of judges who weigh up those sort of legal factors in a particular way. Um, you know, the kind of the sort of influ inference of somebody, you know, things not being fully right, a judge may still be able to look at the logic of a circumstantial case where all these pieces are put together and somebody is found guilty. And, you know, you'll see these uh, gangland murders, you know, those, the average, I think, life sentence, the average person who gets a life sentence in Ireland, I think it's up to 19 years. It used to be 17 years. It used to be even less at one point. But if you look at the gangland killers, they're really not getting out um, until 25, 30 years now at this point. It's really, it really is a, a, you know, a long, long sentence. I mean, these guys are in their early 30s and they won't really, are likely to see uh, freedom again until they're really old men. You know the consequences are are severe, obviously. And then a life life sentence prisoners, even when they do get released, they can be brought back in if they get up to trouble again. And um, you know, people obviously victims often feel life should mean life beyond any hope of parole, but it, it is a very very severe penalty nonetheless. And just a little bit because about the background of Rue Redmond, I want to just go into before we finish, but I don't know much about Bernard Fogarty other than he's from Donna Mead and he had maybe 40 or so previous convictions. Um, and obviously he liked Ray-Ban shades and flashy watches. But Redmond actually has quite a tragic background, you know. Um, maybe you know this story, but the father, when, when, when Rue Redmond was 11, his father was a guy called Gerard Redmond and he got convicted of manslaughter. But it was a case where he was having a row with a neighbour and he went and threw a kind of a, you know, a firebomb or something into the house and a baby, a young baby died. Um, like Rue Redmond has a brother also called Gerard, Gerard Junior Redmond would be, who is a professional athlete now and a coach and he trains. And I've heard him be interviewed a number of times and he's very, very impressive. But he actually was somebody who 
would have been, I think he was Redmond's older brother, actually. And he had a chance of becoming a professional footballer. He'd been seen playing and he had been chosen by one of the clubs in England to go over and train like he was only, you know, 15, 16 or something. And the family were obviously troubled. But this happened. And I think the mother left the family home and he was given no option but to come home and to help raise the kids and you know when he speaks about his life he talks about sort of at that point you know having to forgo his football dream coming home and then he embarked on a life of crime he says nowadays to you know to help feed the younger kids he has had a total turnaround of his life um He's a completely different individual nowadays and he does do these sort of motivational talks and he does all these, you know, triathlons and um, Ironman events and everything. And he hopes his thing is that he tries to inspire other people, you know, through himself. Um, says he's driven by by these goals, these fitness goals and stuff. But he, yeah, that you know, it was, it must have been horrendous as an 11-year-old that to happen and for the family, for the, the the kids to be left and to be reared by siblings and, you know, in a disadvantaged area already, there is a disadvantaged person. Now, I'm not excusing for a second what Rue Redmond went on to do and all the, you know, the the fear he put into people. But um, it's it's interesting to see how two people in one family can go in two completely different directions, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, it's it's and you know, for for somebody to come through like uh, Jared Redmond has to, you know, to achieve what he has achieved. I mean, it's 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 remarkable, you know, because to to come from that 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 point and and to to go on and make to make such a success of your life is very very admirable. And he actually speaks really really well. I mean, the problem for his, you know, the, the trauma that his, his younger brother, Rue Redmond, would have gone through, there's just no doubt about it. And, you know, the you look, the use of the cocaine, there's just no doubt. I remember speaking to cops and all at the time when Redmond and, and Fogarty were out and they all would have said they were chew, like they couldn't get enough coke. They were hoovering it up and it was making them super paranoid, super mad, super hyperactive. It was a disastrous combination with um, people who were obviously working as essentially as hit men, you know, as debt collectors, as muscle to throw the cocaine into it. And it just created this absolutely chaotic few years that, um, you know, people have been left behind uh, having lost a loved one like Barry Wolverson and other people who were terrorised, like like Sharon Garvin. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the tragedy in Rue Redmond's case is that the trauma that, that was inflicted on him as a as a as a absolutely harmless child is now going to be inflicted on other children, Barry Wolverson's uh, kids as well. And they're going to have, go through that trauma of losing losing a parent effectively. I mean, Jerry Redmond has spoken about finding recovery um, and how that transformed his life, um, how go, undergoing an addiction course in, 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 in when he was in prison and how you know that that was a, a spark for for a new life, and it's it is tragic that his his brother Rue didn't didn't find the same path, um, but yeah. it's just a cycle of a cycle of of harm and trauma that goes down now to another generation, um, and you know it's it's very very sad, um, but the reality is and and that Rue Redmond wasn't safe to be out in the streets of 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 Ireland, um, and you know. 
maybe he will get a chance in prison to find something better, uh, even though it's a high price to pay. OK, well, look, thanks, Niall. Thanks very much, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.